European Heart Journal issue at a glance. Volume 37, issue 15. Focus issue on imaging. By Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. Imaging as a basis of clinical decision-making in congenital and coronary disease and heart failure. Thanks to modern medicine, more and more patients with congenital heart disease today reach adulthood, but nonetheless require lifelong professional care. Imaging is fundamental to the lifelong care of these patients. Thus, the review Imaging of Congenital Heart Disease in Adults by Sonia Babu Narayan from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London marks an interesting start to this issue. While echocardiography remains the first-line imaging tool, cross-sectional imaging with cardiac magnetic resonance, MR, or computed tomography, CT, provides complementary and invaluable information on cardiac and vascular anatomy and other intrathoracic structures commonly altered in such patients. Furthermore, cardiac MR provides quantification of cardiac function and vascular flow. As a result of these achievements, cardiac catheterization is mainly reserved for the measurement of pulmonary vascular resistance, ventricular end diastolic pressure, and percutaneous interventions. Of note, there have been further advances in non-invasive imaging of congenital heart disease, including advanced echocardiographic techniques, faster automated cardiac MR imaging, and a marked reduction in the required radiation of CT. Consequently, Adults with congenital heart disease who represent a truly heterogeneous population benefit from appropriate application of multiple imaging modalities if matched with the expertise of tertiary centres. The quantification of left ventricular function is equally important in patients with congenital heart disease as in those with cardiomyopathies and heart failure. Myocardial strain is a relatively novel principle based on speckle tracking echocardiography that is increasingly used to better characterize myocardial function in such patients. In a second review, Myocardial Strain Imaging, How Useful Is It in Clinical Decision-Making, by Otto A. Smizet from the University Hospital in Oslo in Norway, the practical value of this modality is critically discussed. The authors remind us that the top evaluated strain parameter is global longitudinal strain, which is more sensitive than left ventricular ejection fraction as a measure of systolic function. Furthermore, global longitudinal strain is recommended as routine in patients undergoing chemotherapy to detect reduction in left ventricular function prior to fall in ejection fraction. Mechanical dispersion, defined as segmental variability in contraction duration, has been proposed as a predictor of ventricular arrhythmias. Furthermore, Strain imaging may be used to guide positioning of the left-sided pacing lead in patients receiving cardiac resynchronization therapy. Strain may also be useful to detect myocardial ischemia, but the technology is not standardized sufficiently yet. Finally, peak systolic left atrial strain is a promising index of left ventricular filling pressure. Thus, strain imaging is still undergoing development and further clinical trials are required to determine if clinical decisions based on strain imaging result in better outcome. With this important limitation in mind, strain may be applied clinically as a supplementary diagnostic method. 
Stent thrombosis is an increasingly rare but often fatal complication of percutaneous coronary interventions. Unfortunately, angiography rarely identifies the underlying causes of stent thrombosis. In their paper, Mechanisms of Stent Thrombosis Analyzed by Optical Coherence Tomography, Insights from the National Pesto French Registry, Gérard Souterrain and colleagues from the University Hospital of Clermont-Ferrand in France studied a large cohort of patients by optical coherence tomography, or OCT, to explore the characteristics and mechanisms of stent thrombosis. Out of a prospective multicenter registry, 120 patients with confirmed stent thrombosis were selected. Very late stent thrombosis was the clinical presentation in 75%, late in 6%, subacute in 15%, and acute stent thrombosis in 4%. OCT identified an underlying morphological abnormality in 97% of cases, including Strutt's malaposition in 34%, neoatherosclerotic in 22%, major stent under expansion in 11%, coronary evagination in 8%, isolated uncovered struts in 8%, edge-related disease progression in 8%, and neointimal hyperplasia in 4%. Ruptured neoatherosclerotic lesions occurred in 35% of patients who had received a bare metal stent, but in only 14% with drug-eluting stents, whereas coronary evaginations were more frequent with the latter than the former, i.e. 12% versus 2%. Late and very late stent thrombosis was mainly related to malaposition and neoatherosclerosis, while malaposition and underexpansion were prominent mechanisms in acute and subacute ones. Thus, in patients with confirmed stent thrombosis, OCT imaging identified an underlying morphological abnormality in 97% of cases. The paper is accompanied by a thoughtful editorial by Renu Virmani from CV Path Institute Incorporated in Gaithersburg, Maryland, USA. Myocardial ischemia is commonly caused by plaques of epicardial coronary arteries. Unfortunately, the degree of coronary narrowing is often difficult to assess angiographically, where a stenosis above 50% is considered obstructive as plaques are only incompletely visualized with 2D angiography. Thus, novel techniques such as invasive and more recently CT-based fractional flow reserve have been introduced. In their paper, Coronary Plaque Quantification and Fractional Flow Reserve by Coronary CT Angiography Identify Ischemia-Causing Lesions. Sarah Gower and colleagues from the Aarhus University Hospital in Denmark evaluated the association between coronary stenosis severity, plaque characteristics, coronary CT angiography-derived fractional flow reserve, and lesion-specific ischemia as identified by fractional flow reserve in 484 vessels of 254 patients. Plaque volumes were inversely related to fractional flow reserve, irrespective of stenosis severity. Relative risk for prediction of ischemia for stenosis above 50% was 5.0. 3.7 for non-calcified plaque, more than or equal to 185 mm3. 4.6 for low-density non-calcified plaque more than or equal to 30 mm3, 1.4 for calcified plaque more than or equal to 9 mm3, but 13.6 
for CT-derived fractional flow reserve. Low-density non-calcified plaque predicted ischemia independent of other plaque characteristics. Low-density non-calcified plaque and CT-derived fractional flow reserve yielded diagnostic improvement over stenosis assessment with area under the receiver operating characteristics curves increasing from 0.71 by stenosis above 50% to 0.79 when adding low-density non-calcified plaque more than or equal to 30 mm cubed and to 0.90 when combined with CT-derived fractional flow reserve. The authors conclude that stenosis severity, plaque characteristics, and CT-derived fractional flow reserve predict lesion-specific ischemia. Plaque assessment and CT-derived fractional flow reserve provide incremental discrimination of ischemia compared with stenosis assessment alone. The paper is accompanied by an editorial by Gianluca Pontone from the Centro Cardiologico Monzino, IRCCS, in Milan, Italy. In patients with symptoms suggestive of coronary artery disease, several non-invasive imaging modalities are currently recommended. While MRI and nuclear tests provide mainly functional information, CT gives insights into structural changes of the coronary circulation. The third paper, Calcium Imaging and Selective CT Angiography in Comparison to Functional Testing for Suspected Coronary Artery Disease, the Multicenter Randomized Crescent Trial, Marissa Lubbers and colleagues from Erasmus MC Rotterdam in the Netherlands compared the effectiveness and safety of a cardiac CT algorithm with functional testing in 350 patients with stable angina. By one year, fewer patients randomized to cardiac CT reported anginal pain and event-free survival was 96.7% and thus slightly but not significantly higher for patients randomized to CT than for those randomized to functional testing, for which it was 89.8%. Further, after CT, the final diagnosis was established sooner, and additional downstream testing was required less frequently, resulting in overall lower diagnostic costs. Thus, for patients with suspected stable angina, a tiered cardiac CT protocol offers an effective and safe alternative to functional testing. Incorporating the calcium scan into the diagnostic workup was safe and lowered diagnostic expenses and radiation exposure. Pulmonary congestion is a common and important finding in heart failure and commonly assessed as introduced by René Lenec in 1819 with a stethoscope, although both clinical examination and chest radiography are insensitive for the detection of congestion. Elke Platz, from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, argues that lung ultrasound is a novel technique that may detect and quantify subclinical pulmonary congestion. In their paper, Detection and Prognostic Value of Pulmonary Congestion by Lung Ultrasound in Ambulatory Heart Failure Patients, they sought to relate lung ultrasound and clinical findings to heart failure hospitalizations and all-cause mortality at six months in 195 patients with heart failure. Lung ultrasound was performed in eight chest zones with a pocket ultrasound device. The sum of B lines ranged from 0 to 13. One-third had more than or equal to three B lines on lung ultrasound, yet 81% of these patients had no findings on auscultation. During follow-up, 
27% were hospitalized for heart failure or died. Patients in the third tertile, more than or equal to three B lines, had a fourfold higher risk of the primary outcome compared to those in the first tertile and spent a lower number of days alive and out of the hospital. The authors conclude that pulmonary congestion assessed by ultrasound is prevalent in ambulatory patients with chronic heart failure, is associated with other features of clinical congestion, and identifies those who have worse prognosis. The paper is accompanied by a critical editorial by John R. Tierlink from the Veterans Affairs Medical Center and University of California in San Francisco, USA. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.